Welcome back, guys. Good to see all of you back. The remnant held it down while you were gone. Brought the exiles home, so welcome back. <laughs> well, it is good to it is good to have everybody back together and um, to be jumping back into boundless Sunday mornings. Uh, I know that we're we're kind of in the bit of a of a of a carryover here. Um, I'm supposed to try this, aren't I? The TV's not on, so I'm going to have to turn around, and I don't know if somebody can come and turn this on real quick, so I'm not turning around every time. Um, there we go. It works. Yeah, we were not sure if the PowerPoint clicker was going to work. It's just a new clicker, even. Isn't that crazy? So, um, so we've been we've been we've been working with that. It's it's been good, good uh, good testing our patience. Um, well, anyway, glad to be back here, and glad to be back in in the swing of things. Um, if you've been around over the, over the break, and you probably, even if you weren't here, you probably caught the first part of our series that we've been doing, um, which is we've called it the written word, and we've looked at um, just doctrine of scripture. I'll talk more about that in a minute. Um, but on Thursday nights, which, what, you know, what can you expect this semester as we're coming up? We're excited to be back for our Thursday night study starting this week, and Rich probably announced that. Uh, the plan is to be back in First Peter. So I'm itching to get back into some sequential exposition. Uh, that's my favorite thing to teach. So looking forward to getting back into First Peter and working through that with you guys. And then, um, again, I'm coming in cold, so Rich, I don't know what you've said and what you haven't. But uh, Sunday night, did you talk about Sunday, our Sunday night series, Rich? Okay, so Sunday nights, this isn't boundless. This is corporate Sunday night series. Uh, we're doing a series on eschatology, particularly the millennium. Okay, so that nice, neat topic of the millennium that's uh, so clear and so easy with eschatology. Uh, it, seriously, though, it is going to be a sweet study, and Pastor Brian's going to lead that, and I think some others of us are going to jump in there and, and teach some of those sermons as well. We're still shaping up exactly, exactly how we're going to approach that series, but um, going to be a sweet time, so I would encourage you, if you're, if you're setting your schedule, you're trying to figure out what you're going to prioritize, it may seem like an obscure thing, like, okay, eschatology, uh, why, why should I know that? Um, but you're going to see it's going to have very practical ramifications in your life. So I would definitely, definitely prioritize Sunday nights and try to come out for those. Those start in a couple weeks. So we're going to be looking at the, the Millennial Series. And Bailey, thanks for, thanks for helping us there, bro. And if, it's, if it's a struggle, don't worry about it. I'll turn around. Hey, you're, you're, you're the man. So, hey, give Bailey a hand. What a servant. It's, not it's okay. It's okay. Hey, you tried. There'll be fruit for that, I'm sure. Rewards. Yeah. All right. Well, so that's Sunday, Thursday night, Sunday night. Okay. And then Sunday school, um, I'm planning, Lord willing, uh, to start a series on the topic of singleness uh, this semester. So that's irrelevant to everyone in here. It's a joke. Uh, it's very relevant to everyone in here. Uh, so we'll be looking at that topic. I've actually never taught a full-on series on singleness in the college and career ministry. Isn't that crazy? It's like, man, I've been unfaithful to you guys. So i gotta, I got to get on that. Um, we've done dating, okay? We've done dating, but never singleness. So I want to I hit this topic, talk about the gift of singleness, 1 Corinthians 7, the gift no one wants, right? Again, a joke, a joke. Okay, joking. Uh, gift of singleness. We want to look at that, uh, look at some of the dangers of the single life, what are some of the pitfalls, uh, how can you maximize whether it's a season 
or something chosen that you've chosen to remain single for the sake of the kingdom? How can you maximize the single life? So that, that's what we're looking at. And um, in, uh, Lord willing, in a few weeks, we'll start that series. And next week, Rich is going to come up, and he's going to teach, I believe, on the topic of decision-making. Is that still, is that still the, the topic? Yeah, and that's always, that's always so helpful. Biblical principles, you can never talk about that enough. Working the angles on how to make good, wise decisions. Um, you don't guys don't have to make any decisions, do you? You do. Uh, there's lots of them. Uh, more than I have to make, so uh, it's good to be, good to be equipped um, to make those. So, what about this morning, okay? You're like, we can read, Clay. We know what you're going to say. Uh, this morning, uh, I want to talk to you about reading the Bible, all right? Specifically, how to make the most out of your daily Bible reading. Now, this message has been in the slow cooker for a little while, for most of Christmas break for me. Um, I've been teaching on Scripture and doctrine of Scripture. We've been looking at this series, rooting our convictions deep in what the Bible claims for itself. We've seen that the Bible is a book unlike any other book on earth. Uh, It's inspired by God. It came from Him to us. It's completely truthful. We can stake everything on it. It's inerrant. It's full of his authority, God's own authority. It's full of his power, creates converts, it hardens his enemies. It's completely accessible to us. God wants us to know it, and it's absolutely necessary, and it's sufficient for all we need for life and godliness. So we looked at those over the break, and we've seen this book is such a treasure because through it we come to know God himself. And so like Jesus says, we live on every word that comes from his mouth. And so, coming on the heels of a series like that, and, and especially at the, at the front of a semester, front of a new year, um, I think it's very important that we take at least a message to kind of capitalize on all the excitement and all the enthusiasm about your new Bible reading plan. And uh, I want to come alongside you and um, leverage that zeal and help you make the most of your Bible reading. All right? And so, let me give a caveat up front what this is not. Okay? This sermon is not like a full-blown series on hermeneutics or like principles in Bible reading. Oh, you're going to find some of that in what I'm going to say. So that would take all semester, and that would be good, worthwhile. Uh, but that's not what this is. You can think of this sermon as like on the screen here, a few best practices. Uh, it's going to help you in your, in your Bible reading time. Do you know what the best practice is? Okay. Best practice. Business world loves best practices because they represent essentially a working framework for how to get things done in the best way, most efficient, uh, with most delivering the most quality, right? And uh, I used to work at Starbucks. Surprise. And best practices was like a buzzword around there. I mean, my manager said it like three times a shift. We had a best practice for everything. You know, it was like, best practice for making drinks, best practice for cleaning toilets, best practice for, you know, hospitality. No, 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 no. Best practice for everything. And so, in our case, what we want to do this morning is, is we want these sort of best practices uh, to help us make the most of our Bible reading. Uh, I want to give you a few helps, a few things that I wish I would have known up front that would have really set me up to read the Scriptures well. And, and most profitably, to make the most of my time in the Word, communing with Christ each day. Okay, These aren't exhaustive, they're not even comprehensive, but I think they'll be helpful for you. So, 
If you came to me cold turkey and you were like, like, how do I read my Bible? I would probably be like, what do you mean? Like, dial me in there. But you didn't say that. You just asked me, how should, how should you read your Bible? So I'm going to answer that question. I'm going to give you nine answers, okay? Nine answers or nine best practices for, uh, for your Bible reading plan. And everybody's like, oh, no. <laughs> no way. Is this a two-parter? Like, you know. No, it's one part, okay? So, Lord, have mercy on us. All right. I'll try to be quick. Try to be quick with this. And, uh, and you know, if that raises questions, great. Uh, be good things to ch- chat through. And lots of people in here could probably field those questions because you've got a, a lot of Bible readers in here. All right? So, if you're looking at best practices... Um, you know, I've got a sentence here. Read the Bible, and then I'm, I'm, I'm going to list out some of, these, some of these best practices. Let's start with the approach generally, okay? We're setting up the plan. Okay, how are we, how are we approaching our Bibles? Uh, start of the year. And I would say, first thing here, I would best practice, I would say, is read it daily. Okay? Read it daily, or at least frequently. But I'm, I'm putting daily up there as the ideal to strive for, okay? As you're going to see sometimes in Scripture, it's multiple times a day. But daily. The point is, you need to read your Bible a lot as part of the rhythm of your life. I joke, if I were to ever teach a class on hermeneutics, my three rules would be read your Bible, number one. You know what my second rule would be? Read it some more. And you know what my third rule would be? Keep on reading that thing. All right? Read it, read it, read it. And this... This desire to read the Bible every day, this is not some, some rule. I mean, it's, a good, it's good to build into your life as a discipline. But this is the very heartbeat of a believer. We want to know God, and we want to know His Word. If you don't, you might not be a believer, likely are not a believer. That's a major shift for what happens in the soul of someone who is, is alive to God. They want to know His Word. It's not perfect. It's not this you know, consistent desire all the time that waxes and wanes, but there is a desire there to say, I've got to know God. Our eyes and our hearts have been opened to his truth, and we see the Bible for the treasure that it is. Our hearts long to know God. They long to understand his word. And these convictions drive us to read the scriptures regularly, ideally, like I'm saying here, daily, and meditate on it often. All right. So this daily reading, this frequent meditation... It's what you see in Scripture itself. It's the ideal that we're in it all the time. All right? That it's always on our minds, you could say. So let me just give you a few quick examples of this. Uh, I I go here a lot, and I'm just going to kind of pull the excerpt from it, but I I love Deuteronomy 17. It's Moses' instructions to the kings of Israel, the future kings of Israel, and what they need to do, how they need to rule in the land, and it's an amazing passage because basically it's, it's countercultural. So everything that a, that a king would do in the ancient Near East, they would try to get as much gold as possible. They would try to be as wealthy as possible, right, number one. They would try to intermarry with as many foreign wives as they could to establish political alliances. And they would try to get a standing army. They would, they would get as many chariots as possible. And the Lord's like, don't, don't multiply gold, don't multiply chariots, and don't intermarry. It's like, well, how am I supposed to reign? You know, like, how, how, what's the king supposed to do? And the king, literally, his only job is to get a copy of the Torah from the priests, write one out himself, know it, read it every day, 
all the days of his life and lead by the Torah. Because God is the king. And it's his commands that matter. So countercultural. I love that passage for so many reasons, but I'm drawn out here that this is the standard for the king. He's supposed to copy, write his own copy of the Torah, have it with him, and lead from it. Read in it all the days of his life. That he may learn to fear the Lord as God, is what it says. Here's another one. Familiar text, Psalm 1. Right? This is the description of the blessed man. The blessed person. The person who is going to be blessed by God, fruitful in what they, in what they do on earth. They live a well, well-lived life. What do they do? Their delight is in the law of the Lord, and it says, And on his law, on the word, he meditates day and night. So that's, that's, a, that's a figure of speech. Day and night, meaning it's, it's on his mind. It's, just, it's, just, it's applied to situations. It's, it's governing his life, similar to the king. Like it's, it's, it's headed, it's, it's structuring his life in a direction, and he's leading the nation in that direction. Leading yourself, leading your family, leading the church in the direction of, of the scriptures. The blessed man. He meditates on it day and night. And we could multiply examples like that, but this frequent reading and this daily meditation is the ideal given to us in scripture. And if you're saying, okay, I'm going to do it daily, this is going to help you build, if you don't read the Bible regularly right now, this is going to help you build the most important habit in your entire life. Like, the most important habit in your entire life is reading Scripture, taking in Scripture, meditating on it constantly or frequently, daily. All right? I'm not saying you're in sin if you, if you miss a day or you do this or not. What, I'm not that's, that's not the point. I just want you to make it your goal to get the scriptures in your life daily. That'd be a best practice. Say, okay, I want to read the word. I want to read it each day. But now you've got to work that priority into your day at a certain time. So when are you actually going to read it? And that leads to my next best practice here. I want you to read it early. Read it early. And what I mean is, ideally, you want to meet with the Lord before your day gets going. It's up to you to pick the time. I'm not here to like set your, set your clock for you and tell you exactly what time to do this or, or whatever. You might be an early riser, so you want to get up early and you want to read and meditate, or you might not be. Right? You know who I'm talking about. Might be the night owl. But whatever the case, my advice is still to spend time with the Lord before your day gets going. Why? Not rhetorical. Okay, so you can meditate on it all day. It will affect your decisions, it will affect your day. Yep. So what we're going to see is it prepares you for your day to live a fruitful life. Your communion with Christ, your meditation on his word, prepares you to live the day in obedience to Christ. We see this as, as also a, a pattern throughout scripture. Uh, even we see this in, as, in glimpses with Christ himself. It's not the only time he pulled out, but it, it is. It, Mark 1.35 tells us that he did this early, this spent time with the Lord early in the morning. Rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, 
he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. He woke up early to spend time with his father to prepare himself for the day. And I know we're talking about Bible reading, but that's part of this sort of, it's the one half of the equation of communion with the Lord, Bible reading and prayer. But beyond this being the pattern, you know, we need to ask, okay, why did, why did he go out early? Like, is there something spiritual about going out early before the sun rises? It's like, no. But there is something practical about the day is left. A day of ministry, a day of people that are beating down Jesus' door. A day of sick coming to him. A day of teaching. There's all of these things that Jesus is going to give himself to, and so he prepares himself for the tasks of the day by spending time with his Father. I know that when I meet with the Lord, when I renew my mind, he's preparing me afresh for the day ahead. He's helping, me to shape, he's helping shape my priorities. He's preparing me to be useful to him. He's reminding me of his purposes, that he's with me, that he's present. And all that comes to bear on the day that I'm about to head into. It's like tuning your instrument before you play your instrument, right? Versus like tuning it while you're trying to play it. It's like, I play guitar, that wouldn't work very well. Um, Sometimes I wish I would have tuned it before, you know, and you're hearing the, you're hearing the thing that's off-tuned. It doesn't mean you can't autocorrect during your day, okay? I'm not saying that. It's not a, you can totally correct back to the Lord, even if you didn't have a quiet time in the morning. But my point here is just, if you've got, if you've got an ideal, you want to set it up early. So let me give you an example, okay? Let's say you wake up, grab your bag, you, head out, you grab your breakfast bar, whatever you eat, jump in your car, you're, you're, you're headed out to your 8 o'clock class, because you're like, had no time in the morning. You just woke up, boom, you're in, the, you're, in the, you're in the car. We've all been there. And you think, I'm just going to pray in the car. Right? Anybody said that? I'm just going to pray in the car, you know? So you get in the car. What happens when you're in the car? You're like, thinking about reversing. You're thinking about getting out. You're thinking about, ah, oh, You're thinking all these things are flying. You're like, oh, i got to make a class. Oh, class. Oh, gosh, we're going to get our grades today for our exams or our quizzes, you know? You just think about, oh, there's that girl, you know? And, and then there's all the, yeah, the, the nervous laughter. You know what I'm talking about. But it's all the thoughts. And then you get there, and you go, ah, spot, I need a spot. You know, just try not to hit anybody. And then you get in your, get in your spot, and you've got to get to class because you're late. And you're running in there, and you're thinking, I didn't even pray, you know. And so you're skidding into class. You're like, Lord, help, you know. You ordained all things for my good, thanks, you know. And, and you're squealing into your, you know, your seat. Now, contrast that, okay, with just 30 minutes, maybe even 15 minutes. Rewind the clock back. Instead of rushing into the day, you open up your Bible and you read just a little bit. Let's say you read a little chapter from your, the portion of your plan that you're reading, Isaiah 65. Chapter about the Lord bringing in the new creation. And you think, you just have this thought. Man, I wonder what that's going to be like. <laughs> New creation? It seems surreal. It's hard to, hard to like get my mind around that. But Lord, thank you that you've saved me and I'm headed there one day. And everything in my life that, that happens today, the, Lord, you're pushing me toward that one glorious end. You're preparing me to, to reign with you in that new creation. Just split second thought. And then the Spirit brings to mind that Romans eight twenty eight because you've been memorizing it. You've been working on it. You talked to your friend the previous night about that. God works all things together for my good, my conformity to the image of His Son. Make me more like Jesus. And even the hard things you think, man, 
And then your mind starts drifting a little bit. You say, check the time. Okay, it's been 10 minutes. I've got to get going for class. And oh, class, my 8 o'clock class. I got that quiz today. And then you have this thought. Lord, how should I respond to that quiz grade? Like you're bringing in the new creation. Right? Like all of a sudden the Lord is present in that thought that, hey, there's a new creation coming. I can trust you with this, with this grade. It's important for sure, but in the end, I'm headed for the new heavens and the new earth. And you're working all these things together for my good, even if I didn't get what I want on this, on this quiz grade. So help me to rejoice in you today. And please use me as I'm coming in. Just help me, help me pay that forward, Lord. Be an encouragement to my classmates. Now, in the time I said that, that was probably like three and a half minutes. Right? And so, like, a major shift just took place in your heart and your mind to prepare you for that first class. Even though there was nothing directly in Isaiah 65 that was transferable to that first class. See what I'm talking about? The mere fact that you read the Bible and thought about it for a second, the Spirit you is going to start using that to prepare you for the day. And it's because you read it early. Sometimes you need to renew your mind before you go to bed, especially if you're struggling with anxiety, but I don't really need a renewed mind to sleep. Right? I need a renewed mind to, to help me be fruitful in the day. All right? So that brings us to the actual how of the reading, meaning how am I going to approach reading this rather large book I have in my hand? Or books, an anthology of texts uh, is really what we have here. Um, do I just randomly pick some pages each day? Do I start at the beginning and then go and move forward? Just plow through, you know, be in the Old Testament for a year? You know, like, what, do I take some from the new, some from the old? Well, here's what my answer would be. My answer would be on the main that you should read it sequentially. And what I mean by this word is that you should have a plan that involves you reading through entire books of the Bible. We could talk nuances, you know, and it really, at the end of the day, you know, I, I, could, I could talk to you about maybe approaches. But what I'm, my point, what I really want to draw, drive home here is, is this sequential reading, meaning you're reading, you're reading the whole of a work, an, a whole of one of these books in the anthology. Like you're working through it from start to finish. Verse by verse, chapter after chapter, until you finish the entire book. Now, this, this planned approach is definitely preferable to the sort of random approach, okay? Why is that? Well, for starters, it exposes you to the whole counsel of God, okay? So, you're reading through book by book. I don't really care what order. I don't care if you do one of the, you know, New Testament, Old Testament, divide up your time. It doesn't really matter. What I want you to do is be reading through them. It exposes you to the whole counsel of God. God gave us the whole Bible, and that must mean he wants us to know all of it. To live by every word, he says, that comes from his mouth. Right? Most of the words. The, later on, the New Testament words. Every word, he says, that comes from his mouth. That's what we live on. Again, even the Old Testament, yes, all Scripture. In that context, I'm about the Old Testament. All Scripture is God-breathed, and it is profitable for you, for your equipping. 
So it's relevant, and all of it is relevant for our growth in one way or another, whether you realize it or not. Reading through books of the Bible gives you that exposure, and plus, it helps you keep the individual verses in context, which is going to be another one of our points in just a second. If we just cherry-pick our favorite passages and verses, we run the risk of missing aspects of who God is or nuances of his purpose for the world, or important background that will help us make sense of Christ and what he's come to fulfill. But when we read it sequentially over time, we're going to see things we've never seen, we'll have questions we never would have asked, and we'll get help with our overall ignorance with Scripture. Because it's amazing that we all have Bibles, and yet we're also ignorant of what's actually in here. Not, I'm talking of evangelicalism. Okay, I'm not indicting you personally, but like, there's just an overall ignorance of this, of this book. So we've got to get familiar with it, with what's in it, and that comes through reading it. Now, caveat, right? I'm not saying that you shouldn't ever read your favorite passages or revisit your favorite passages or key passages that are helpful for you, and particularly if you're struggling through an area, like it's great to have your verses there that you're, that you're working on, that you're reviewing every time you go into your Bible reading. That's great. I do that. The same is true for reviewing sermons. So maybe you'll have a day where you review a, a, a Sunday morning sermon or a boundless sermon or whatever in your, in, your, in your devotional time, and that's all you do that day. My point is just on the main, on the whole, you want to be reading through the Bible and reading through whole books of the Bible at a time. Um, my particular way I do it, you don't have to do it this way, but the particular way I do it is I have a list on my iPhone of just different books of the Bible. It's like a checklist, and when I finish it, I check it off so I know that I've read that book this year or whenever. I don't really go by the year. I just go by completion, right? And I, I, might, I might marinate in it longer or I might read 10 chapters at a time because I want to get the whole, whole you know, view of the book. But it just helps me keep track of where I've been and where I've not been. So I'm, I'm getting exposure to all the Scripture on a regular basis. All right? And then one more caveat here. There may be a season of time where someone is helping you work through something significant a besetting sin pattern, maybe. You're in, you're in discipleship relationship, you're in counseling. Somebody's helping you work through that, and they've given you kind of like, here's your regimen. Like, here's what I want you reading. Here's the truths I want you meditating on. I want you memorizing. Spend your quiet time doing that. That trumps what I'm saying right now, okay? If you have a disciple or a mature believer in your life and they're giving you something to work on, that's got to take priority, okay? If your shepherd and your, one of your shepherds rich or somebody's working with you, and he says, I want you to do this. I want you to read through these passages, work through these questions. Let that take priority. All right? You're not like in sin if you put off your Bible reading plan, even if you don't get it through it in a year. Like, it's, that's okay. Um, I'm, what I'm talking about is on the main. And so you can Google. Just get online. Google Bible reading plans. Uh, there's lots of them, you know. So you just pick one that is wise in your own eyes, right? Like, just whatever, whatever works. And uh, for you, just read it. Um, so, now, once you've got your plan in place, you've you got to work the plan, okay? When it comes to actually working the plan, sitting down to read, let's talk about that. How should you actually approach reading it, okay? And the first thing you want to do as you approach the Lord in His Word is to read your Bible prayerfully. Read it prayerfully. And what I mean, what I'm getting at here, is that you want to ask the Lord for His help in understanding what you're sitting down to read. Simple. 
You have a divine teacher within you, the Holy Spirit. And he is actively at work within you, helping you understand his word. Those should give us tons of hope, right? Tons of hope, even if it doesn't seem clear to you right now. The Spirit is with you. And he's pledged to help you gain progressive understanding here in the truth. And then the Lord has told us to pray for that illuminating work, for the Spirit to do that work within us, to look to him for that, to depend on him for that. And so here's an example of a great prayer for this very thing from Psalm 119. There's lots of these, but here's this one that's, that's easy. Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. The very prayer itself implies we need God to do this work. Or to use Paul's terms, to enlighten the eyes of our hearts, Ephesians 1. To give us strength to understand, Ephesians 3. And the encouragement here is that this is what the Lord wants to do. Like, you're not like bending his arm to reveal himself to you. He wants to reveal himself to you. And, and to those who seek him, to those who seek his words, Proverbs 2 says he gives wisdom. He pours it out to those who diligently seek. So that should be a real encouragement to, to, have, to pray these kinds of things as we're coming into our Bible reading time. And that's loud, isn't it? You hear those kids? That's one of, one of them's mine, you know, I'm sure. A couple of them, probably. All right. So that means, too, okay, as we're thinking about reading prayerfully, that as we learn more about the Lord in our reading, He's actively revealing Himself to you, right? He's answering your prayers as you're learning, as you're growing, as you're seeing things about Him, okay? He's working, and so just be encouraged by that. And the way to make the most of your Bible reading is first to pray before you read and ask the Lord to reveal Himself to you as you read His Word. And as you do... As you learn, as he encourages you and he convicts you, thank him for that. Thank him for answering your prayers, that he's actually working through his word to show himself to you. Now, when we say read prayerfully, where are we at? When we say read prayerfully, okay, what I don't mean is that you read mystically. You tracking? You know what I mean by that? Thinking that God's going to do something, you know, he's going he's gonna to kind of just... You're passive in the process. You're just going to download truth to you. You don't check out mentally when you ask for the Spirit's help. It's actually the opposite. The Spirit doesn't like bypass our minds when He's illuminating. He illuminates our minds. He gives us the capacity to understand. Meaning He helps us see what the human authors meant when they wrote. Okay? The inspired authors wrote to specific people in specific situations and in contexts so we could say when we read Scripture, we want to read it contextually. We want to read it contextually. All right, and what I mean by this is I want you to be aware of the context of the passage you're reading as you read it. Okay? That's what I mean by contextually. Aware of the context of the passage. What's around it? What came before this passage? Okay? How does it advance the argument of the author? You know, or whatever. If it's a narrative, how does, how does, why, does this next, why does this scene follow that previous scene? What comes after this? And you might not have all the answers to that, those questions. But at least asking it is helpful. It's always helpful as you approach Scripture to start from the perspective of the original author and his audience. So, for example, if you're reading Deuteronomy, you're asking, okay, what was Moses 
trying to communicate, trying to get across to the people of Israel under the Old Covenant. Right? Moses is the author of Deuteronomy. He's writing to the nation of Israel. They're under the Old Covenant. That's context. Or if you're reading Romans, you're asking, what was Paul trying to get across here to the Roman church? What were they struggling with that motivated him to write this paragraph in this particular way for these particular people? What's he trying to address? And these are the kind of things I mean by context. Now, you're, you're not going to be able to answer all those questions with just you and your Bible. okay? Um, and that's okay. But just asking the question is helpful. It'll be a helpful exercise. It'll point you in the right direction. It'll get you looking for things and kind of thinking outside of just your just personal application box. This, this, had a, this, this had a life before you and a, and a purpose before you, but you get to benefit from that now, but we want to we start there. But then that, you're saying, okay, if, that, if I've got questions I can't answer exactly with just me and my Bible, then what should I do, right? What could help you get this contextual information that you need? Well, here's some, here's some answers, Okay. My first answer would be your pastors and teachers at your church. Okay? As novel as that sounds, we are here. The Lord has put us here to help equip you. We don't know all the answers of all things, right? But, but the Lord has set aside particular men here at Timberlake who know, that you, who know you and will have to give an account for your soul. And so our goal is that you understand Scripture better. So if you're coming to us with questions, we're going to do our best to, to, to answer those. And if we don't know, we're going to try to direct you to someone else who does know or who knows better than us. And that's definitely your kind of opening lifeline here as you're doing your Bible reading. So kind of keep track of those questions. But even beyond your shepherds, there are so many great resources out there. There's, you've got shepherds and then you've got goods, like good study Bibles. Um, the MacArthur Study Bible, the ESV Study Bible, those are two great study Bibles, not the only ones, but those are really good ones that we recommend. And these kind of Bibles can go a long way in helping you understand the world that the Bible is written in. And it's right there in your Bible, right? Like it's, it's some reference notes right there with you. Another resource that's available today are, are thousands of hours of recorded sermons from other faithful shepherds. Right? So you might be you might be reading through a book. You might be reading through Leviticus, right? And you're like, hmm, TBC website, Leviticus, zero. And you're like, hmm, now what should we do? <laughs> Come to us. We've got a list of pastors that, are, that we love and are faithful. And you, you could start. You just go online and, and Google the Expositor Seminary and look at the churches that are associated with that network. And now you've got 12 pulpits that you can look at. Go to their church websites and look at what they've taught. Those are all very faithful men who are very good shepherds and exegetes of Scripture. That would be a first place I would point to start, but you've got other well-known expositors, John Piper, MacArthur, Kent Hughes, guys like that. We've got you know, references there too. And they've got whole ministries that are set aside for, for resources like that. So if, you know, if, if we've not shared anything like that, find other faithful, it's key, Faithful expositor, don't just YouTube it and then find whatever you think looks relevant. Um, that's dangerous. Uh, there's a lot of junk out there. But find faithful men who are doing, doing their homework and learn from those men. Finally, other good resources. Okay, Other good resources like, and I'll give you one specifically, uh, introductions. What I mean by that is New Testament introductions and Old Testament introductions. There's a whole, whole books, like volumes, are written, one for the new, one for the old, that gives you intros to the Bible. 
So I'll get, let me just give you an example from each one. I'll give you a New Testament one. It's called the cradle, the cross, and the crown. Okay? If you want to, if you've got a birthday coming up, and you're like, hmm, uh, somebody's willing to drop 50 bucks on me. Uh, the cradle, the cross, and the crown is an amazing resource that will walk with you through the rest of your life. Uh, the cradle, the cross, and the crown. It's written by a man, uh, it's co-authored really by uh, a man named Dr. Quarles and Dr. Kostenberger. So if you're like, hmm, I don't know how to repeat, I don't know how to say these names. You probably got the right book, okay? Cradle, cross, crown. And then the, the companion volume, the Old Testament companion volume, I've not read that one, but it looked good when I was looking at this, and I was just to keep it nice and even, is called The World and the Word. The World and the Word, an introduction to the Old Testament. The World and the Word. And again, if you want, if you want to, if you, the resource guy at our church is Tim Moshera. So if you've got resource questions, that's who I go to. Uh, Tim Moshera. So, and then here's a practical, how are we doing on time? Not good. Okay. <laughs> Pastor Clay Lifehack. I used to have my Bible reading plan, and I would, when I was a little more diligent, I would take introductions like the chapters of those introductions, and I would work them in when I would start a new book. So my reading for that day would be the introduction in one of these New Testament or Old Testament introductions for that particular book, and that would help me set the context for it as I'm getting in there. You can do the same thing with your study Bible. Just make sure you're working that in to give you some ideas for the context. Again, that's not rocket science, but uh, it was massively helpful for me. So, uh, all right, we've got to blitz through these last ones. Okay, uh, whoa, there we go. Uh, drop number five down there. But next one is uh, we should learn. This is very similar to context, but I'm saying read your Bible retrospectively. You're like, what is he talking about? Okay, read your Bible retrospectively. My point here is that we should read the Bible with awareness of what has come particularly before. We should ask ourselves, have I heard this before? Have I seen this pattern before? Has anything been, is anything being repeated here in this text or this story that I've heard before? That's sort of like catching my attention. It seems like I've seen this before. The reason I'm saying this is because this was on the heart of every author in the, New Test- in the, in the Bible, Old Testament and New. Within the Old Testament itself, they would do this. They would allude back to previous portions of Scripture in new contexts. And so let me flesh this out a little bit. When it comes to making sense of the Bible and getting the most out of our reading, it helps tremendously to know that the biblical authors will often point back to things that have already been written in earlier portions of Scripture. They allude back to it and then repeat and develop that same thing in this new situation that they're in. For example, in Genesis, when Moses describes Abraham and how he listened to the voice of his wife, Let's play. Where have you heard that before? Adam and Eve. Right. And that's not the only thing. He's also seeing Hagar and taking Hagar just like they saw and took the fruit. So that should trigger something in us as we're reading. And we think, I've heard that before. Even if you don't know why. Even if you don't know what, what the significance of that is. You just, I've heard this before. This event is described in almost identical language to what happened at the fall 
Adam listened to the voice of his wife. He took the fruit. So what's happening? Moses is casting Abraham in this same light as what happened at the fall, meaning the mission of God is being threatened. This next covenant head, Abraham, just like Adam, is is kind of recapitulating the, the fall, not that he's, he's already fallen, right? But he's, he's kind of following the same pattern as, as Adam here. It's, it's negative. This taking Hagar is not a good thing, okay? And we call this an illusion, A-L-L-U-S-I-O-N, an illusion, because he's not grabbing your shoulders and saying, this is what happened with Adam. But he says it in the same language to catch your attention to get you to think back to that. That's an illusion. Not illusion, like a magician. An illusion, with an A. Okay. We, we talk about those things. We draw those things out in the preaching. But I, I just want you to know, a okay, little like best practice is know that, that's a, know that that happens in the Bible. And it happens a lot. So then let's say you keep on reading. Months later, you're in 2 Samuel. And then you read about King David. And it happens again. You read that David saw that Bathsheba was good and that he took her for himself. You're like, hold up, like, it's happening again. And this is all within the Old Testament, right? Old Testament's referring back to, to previous portions of the Old Testament. So my point is that it happens throughout the whole Bible, and it culminates in the book of Revelation. Plug for the Millennial Series. Uh, come back for that, and you'll see a lot of that, um, in that in that series, okay? Now, before we get in over our heads, all I'm saying is the mere fact that you know to look for this, even if you don't spot everything, it's going to help you significantly. You'll see patterns more quickly because you're looking for them. It's like, where's Waldo, right? You're never going to see Waldo unless you know that that's actually a where's Waldo thing. And you're like, oh, I know there's a Waldo there, so now I'm going to look for it. You know? And then, oh, now I see it. To know that the biblical authors do this is going to help you make these connections. All right, I've got some resources on that if you want. Uh, I'll throw one at you. Uh, biblical Theology Study Bible. Over on the Study Bible theme called the Biblical Theology Study Bible. Um, For you more academically minded people, there's one called a commentary of the New Testament's use of the Old Testament. A commentary of the New Testament's use of the Old Testament. Another great birthday. You know, $50 splurge. Okay? This is getting to be a really expensive sermon. But the best thing you can do is situate yourself under good preaching. It's going to help you see these connections, help you develop these instincts. That's the far and away best thing you can do um, to deepen this in your own life. Now, take a deep breath. That's probably that's like the most complicated one, and I can cover these next couple in like five seconds, all right? I have to skip over some things. But, all right, we want to be, read it retrospectively, and you also want to read it patiently. Patiently. I followed that up here very intentionally because looking for context, original author, what's he communicating, looking for these illusions, these elusive illusions, you know, right? Like that can just be overwhelming at times. So my point is just stick with it. Be patient. You don't have to know all the answers. If you get bogged down in an area in Leviticus or whatever, just keep going. Ask your questions if, you know, I give you a half-baked answer, and you're like, okay, well, that didn't really help, so I'm just going to keep, keep moving, right? Like, just keep going. Because as you do, as you read more, as you get more Bible under your belt, 
Other things are going to make sense to you. Uh, that's how the Lord works. So be patient with this process. Okay? Number eight. Also, in the midst of all this academic discussion about reading the Bible and being aware of context and, and looking for these illusions, we, we sometimes can miss the forest for the trees. Sometimes we can forget why we're even reading in the first place. And that is to know God. It is to deepen our relationship with God. He has saved us, and He is ready to meet with us. So that brings me to number eight here, that we want to read the Scriptures relationally. Each time we open the Bible, we've got to remember that God is speaking personally and lovingly to us in His Word. There is a very real person on the other side of this Bible. The Bible is a means to Him. As we read His promises, as we hear His commands, as we listen to His warnings, these are His words to us. And so remembering that, uh, responding to the Lord even while you're reading, right? Like just being cognizant of, okay, these are the words of God. They're coming to me. His word abides in me and he hears what I say. John 15. Sometimes it's direct. You're working through a situation. You're in your Bible reading plan. You hit this passage. It's, the Lord speaks directly to you. And so it's sort of like, you know, you know, this is for you. This is the truth you need. For today. And he does that often um, because he loves us. But other times it might not be as apparent. It might not seem like he's speaking directly to you, especially if you're like trudging through Leviticus. Right? You're like, should I go out and make an animal sacrifice today? No. But as you mature in your reading, what you're going to see, you're going to see themes develop across Scripture, like we're talking about. That's why these illusions come into play, right? Because they help you track these themes across Scripture. And you'll begin to benefit from the portions that were confusing to you. You'll read Leviticus and actually enjoy it. Like, you'll see the holiness of God on display, and your mind will go to Christ and thank Him for fulfilling those terms of the covenant, the terms of Leviticus that it set out. Christ fulfilled that for us. We thank Him for giving us His Spirit, freeing me from all the specific stipulations of the old covenant, and freeing me to actually be obedient to the law. Right? Like, I have the ability to be holy as God is holy now in Christ in the new covenant. That is just, that's a thrilling prayer. Why, how, why does that minister to my soul? Because I can trace those themes now. I couldn't always do that. Not at the beginning. But now as, as we've had more time, uh, you can see your heart will be able to sing even these portions of difficult passages, okay? So one practical thing here I would say is just try to write down one thing. You don't have to write it down. Keep it in your mind. Like one thing that stands out to you from your reading, right? So you're reading these couple chapters, and like you might not get a lot of it, or there might be one portion of it that's like, wow, that's, that's helpful. I'm just going to write that down. Something about God's character. This is something, it's a promise he made. This is, you know, I'm going to take this to the bank today. I'm going to write this down. This is going to be the thing I think about. Um, that's the Lord relationally speaking to you, helping you, ministering to your heart through that, through that passage, all right? Number nine, last one here, is you want to read it submissively. You want to read the Bible submissively. When you read the Bible, you're reading the words of the great king. These are not his suggestions. This is his word, and we want to read his words with humility, with an eye to obey. 
Isaiah talks about the blessing of the one who does this, who, who, who trembles at God's word. I, this is the one to whom I will look. He was humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. James talks about being a doer of the word, not just a hearer only, deceiving ourselves. And so, just want to end here. Just We're thinking about being submissive and, and really, when I say applying the word, Many times in your daily Bible reading, there won't be something directly to go and do from your reading. You know what I'm talking about? There's not something to go and just like do. Like, okay, I want something to apply right now. This is from the specific passage I read this morning. Especially if I'm doing what Clay said, reading through books of the Bible. So what I like to do is read, and if nothing stands out, just turn to the day ahead. I'll do this anyway. But turn to the day ahead and think through what I might face. In that, in that coming day. I mean, I don't know exactly, but I might, have a, I might have an idea. And think through how the Lord, the Lord that I just read about, that He just helped me renew my mind a little bit about Him, how would that same Lord want me to interact in that day? How could I act fruitfully at lunch if I've got lunch plans to eat with a friend? How might I trust the Lord in my classes today? If I'm tempted to be anxious... How would the Lord want me to, to respond to that anxious scenario and live fruitfully in that? As you ask those kinds of questions, you're bringing the Lord that you just read about, the Lord you just heard from, into your day, and you're thinking about His will and what He might want from you in your day, how He might want to bless you and produce fruit through you in your day. And it sets you up, it tunes you up to be productive for Him um, in the coming day, in his love. So, again, best practices, nine of them there. Not, uh, where are we at? Uh-oh, can't get back there. Well, you got them. Nine best practices, not exhaustive. Uh, a lot more could be said, um, but I do think this will help you as you read, okay? If you've got questions, I'll hang out. All right, let's pray. Father, we're grateful for your mercy. We're thankful um, for our Bibles. We pray that you would open our eyes that we might behold wonderful things out of your law. We ask it all in Jesus' name.